Don't you love the decorations? I just love the decorations and those folks who those folks who spent their time and energy to do that for us, I thank you because you make a contribution to every one of our lives in this process. Well, I have to talk about worry today, so I could make a short sermon and say, don't worry. Be easy, wouldn't it? But it doesn't happen that easily, does it? Uh, I, uh, I, we had a lot going today, and uh, I thought, boy, do I really want to preach a seven-point sermon this morning. But that's what we're going to do, and we're going to move through it kind of rapidly. So uh, hold on to your chair, and uh, we'll go through this. Worry is an issue that we are faced with, and I think when we realize the events of uh, San Bernardino last week, uh, we realize that these are events that could come to our own doorstep, and uh, we could spend a lot of time worrying about these things if we had a tendency to do that. I think we should be praying for our hearts go out to the people of San Bernardino. Whenever this kind of thing happens, I, I just uh, want to be there and put my arms around people and help them through the process. Um, but worry is an issue. Uh, R.C. Um, R. Trench was a theologian of another generation, and uh, he was a great theologian. He wrote a whole bunch of things. One of the things that he wrote was his book on the parables and miracles of Jesus. There's probably nothing more comprehensive and better written on the parables and the miracles than Trench's book on this subject. He was an archbishop, but he had this awful fear of being paralyzed. Now, why does a guy wake up some morning and say, I'm afraid I'm going to be paralyzed? But that was Trench's fear. He was, he was fearful of paralysis. And every day, this fear was on him about paralysis. And one night, he went to a party, and, and he was sitting at a dinner party, and uh, this woman next to him realized he was mumbling to himself, mumbling, it's finally happened. It's finally happened. My left leg is completely numb. It's, it's paralyzed. And the woman leaned over to him and said, uh, Mr. Trench, it's my leg you're pinching. <laughs> Most of the things you realize that we worry about never happen. Statistically, only 8% of the things we worry about ever come to pass in some form or another. And generally, they never happen the way we worry about them happening. And as a result, worry becomes something that we deal with. And if you're human, I think you've probably dealt with worry. Time magazine, a number of years ago, wrote a complete article 
about worry and anxiety in America. And it said this, it is not merely the statistics of murder, suicide, alcoholism, and divorce that betray anxiety among Americans, but it is also the innocent everyday act, the limp, or the overhearty handshake, the second pack of cigarettes, the third martini, the forgotten appointment, the stammer in mid-sentence, the wasted hour before the TV, or the spanked child, or the unpaid-for new car. All of these point to the symptoms that bring about worry in America. And worry is an issue. I remember reading about a man who was so worried about so many things that he had his own psychiatrist and he went to the shrink weekly and he spent a lot of money on the shrink and at a point in time he said this, I must be the only guy who spent $10,000 on a couch and still don't own the thing. Worry is to be uneasy in mind. It is to feel anxiety about something. It is to fret about something. And sometimes it is something real. And sometimes it is something not so real. And so Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, begins to approach the issue of caring for, God caring for his children. And uh, the fact that they shouldn't worry about a lot of those things. Now, let me point out, first of all, before I begin, that um, uh, we have a lot of things going on in our lives. The 21st century is very different than when Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There are a lot of opportunities for us to be concerned about things. Um, Let me say also that there are times in history and at the present when godly people suffer, when godly people go through difficult circumstances. I think Job is the perfect example. End of argument. Because sometimes God wants to accomplish something that we may not understand. And so we have to put all of that into the bucket before we even start into this outline. Now let's start our outline. Point number one. These principles are principles given to us to help us deal with the whole issue of worry in our lives. Here's point one. Oh, let me say, did, did, we, get, uh, did we get Corey Tinbone up there? Yeah, let, let, let me read this because this is very important. Worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It is carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. I, I think... Her perception on this was incredible. And of course, who would have more reason to worry at, in life than, uh, than Corey Tinboom? Uh, 
Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength, and I would add, often of its joy as well. And as a result, uh, now we want to look at our outline. God gave us life, and if he gave us life, surely we can trust him for the lesser things. That's where Jesus starts out. And I want to start with where Jesus starts. Notice he says, for this reason I say to you. There are different translations of that. You'll find some translations that will say, therefore I say to you. Now remember, whenever you see a therefore, you should look and see what it's there for. And in this case, it refers back to the previous context. And I want to tie that together for you. Remember, Jesus has just talked about the comparative durability of two treasures. One is corruptible, one is incorruptible. He talks about the comparative usefulness of two eye conditions. One is darkness, one is light. He talks about the comparative worth of two masters. One is God and one is materialism. And with all of that in mind, now therefore I say to you, do not be anxious. Circle the word anxious. There are different translations of that word. If you look at it in the New American Standard Version, that's what I have. Do not be anxious. That's the text I give to you. If you look at it in the King James, it would say, take no thought for the morrow. If you look at it in some older translations, one would say, do not busy your life. Uh, Tyndale translates it, be not careful for your life. Careful is literal, full of care. That's really what this word means. Uh, Merim nao, the word is in Greek. Merim nao. And merim nao means to be full of care. So if you want a proper, pure definition of what worry is, it means to be full of care about a particular issue or a particular circumstance in your life. Let me go a step further. This word is used as a present active imperative. Therefore, he is commanding us not to be full of care. I presume since Jesus is commanding me not to be full of care, I'm assuming that's a possibility. God does not command us to do things in Scripture that we cannot do. So I'm assuming that's a possibility. Let me go a step further. It is a present active imperative, and if I were to translate this kind of present, literally, I would translate it this way. Continually do not be anxious. So this is something that should start in our lives and continually continually be involved in our lives. So we ought to be able to go through life without being full of care about the various issues 
that come into my life. So he says in a command, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body to uh, uh, what you shall put on. And then he says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's where we get our principle. If God gave us life, then God can be trusted to give us the things that we need to sustain that life. Um, It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust. God has given to us a gift that is priceless, life. He has given us life. He is not going to be mean or stingy or careless or forgetful as to whether or not we have enough food to eat to keep that life going. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Here's here's an important thing I want you to understand. When you are dealing with issues that you need, and this is a big issue, Sometimes what I think I need is not what God thinks I need. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Sometimes what I think I need is not what God thinks I need. So sometimes I say, I had that need and God didn't supply it. And then, but then the question comes, did I, if, I, if he doesn't supply it, I don't need it. Uh, So here we are talking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Sometimes I walk into my closet and I say, I don't have anything to wear. Is that dumb or what? Because the closet is lined with clothes. Uh, I've never heard my wife do that. What am I going to wear? Here's the point. The point is that we should never separate our need for things in life from our relationship with God. Those two are intricately linked. If we separate those, then we are going to come to a place where we are going to say, I'm never going to get what I need because this is the only way for me to get what I need is because I have this relationship of God who gave me life, which we will see. He gave us a lot more than that. Point number two. If God can take care of the birds of the air, he can care for you. That's what Jesus says. When he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor they gather in barns, And yet your heavenly father, notice, your heavenly father. Circle those words. He is not the father of the birds. He is your heavenly father, feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? His point here is not that the birds do not work. That's not his point. His point here is that the birds do not worry. His point here is that they don't fly around stewing whether or not they're going to have enough food for that day. 
They're not straining to see the future. They are secure. Here's point number three. Worry is useless. Worry is useless. He says in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious or worrying or, or full of care, can add one single cubit to your lifespan? See, here's the thing. For you and me to extend our lifespan is beyond our competence. No worrying will make that happen. It cannot happen. The only one who is in charge of when you and I die is the God of the universe. And he will take us when he chooses to. I have a thousand times had somebody in my office and uh, they would be walking out because we have talked about something tough going on in their life. We call that pastoral counseling. And they walk to the door and I say, now remember, don't worry because it won't change anything. Worry never changes anything. No matter how full of care I get over the thing, my, my fullness is not going to change the thing. And that's what Jesus means when he says, I can't add one cubit to my lifespan. Point number four. If God can take care of the flowers of the field, he can take care of you. Verses 28 to 31. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe. Take a look. Pay attention. Zero in on. Look at these lilies of the field. They do not toil, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you, that even Solomon in his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Let me tell you what he means by that. In Israel at this time, an oven was built over a fire pit. The fire pit would be down here, and then these uh, tiles would be laid here, and they would build the oven over that. They would build a, a fire in the fire. Sometimes a woman would want more heat in that oven instantly, and she would reach over here and get a handful of dry grass, which was green yesterday, but today it's dry. And she would throw that in the oven, and it would combust into fire and put instant heat into the oven that would make it hotter than it would normally be just with the fire underneath. And that's probably what Jesus is talking about here. Will he not much more do so for you? And then he says, O men of little faith, do not be anxious. There he uses our word in the same way, present active imperative. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and with what shall we clothe ourselves? So if he can take care of the, uh, the uh, birds of the air, if he can take care of the flowers of the field, he can take care of you. Listen, this is very important. God's desire and ability to care for his creation. Remember, he never refers to his creation as their father. 
He is our Father. If God's desire and ability is to care for his, his creation, that is evidence of his willingness and competence to care for his children. I say it this way in your outline. If the creator cares for his creatures, the father will look after his children. Point number five. Worry is characteristic of the heathen and not of one who knows what God looks like. I I don't know how many times I have seen people go through hard, hard circumstances, and somebody in the situation, sometimes myself, says, how does anybody who doesn't know God go through those things? How does anybody who doesn't know God, doesn't have a relationship, doesn't have any hope, doesn't have any faith, doesn't have any peace in their life, how do they walk through those things? It's very very difficult. That's what he's saying here in verse 32 when he says, for all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. They are the ones that are seeking to be full of care and worry. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Um, this is This worry thing is understandable among the heathen. But they don't know what God looks like. They don't know what we know. They don't know that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of love. And they don't know what God did to give to us his son, which we celebrate every Sunday morning here when you go and get the bread and the cup. We are celebrating this death and burial and resurrection which makes it possible for you and me to be the child of God and enter into a relationship with God where I can say, God, I need lunch today. And God will provide it. Because he's my father. Point number six and seven are how, how we cope with worry. This is how we get over worry. Point number six, replace your desires with those of God. Replace your desires with those of God. When you and I want what God wants, then we won't have to be worried about what we have in our lives. So Jesus uses this verse in verse 33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let me stop and talk about all these things. He, you can't use that verse for saying, if I seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, he's going to give me a new car or a new house or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about our required needs for life. That's what he's talking about. And and specifically, he's talking about food and clothing and those sorts of things that we need to live. So when he says, 
these, he, all these things will be added to you. He's talking about the things that you need that would be provided by your heavenly Father to keep you alive. So here's the thing. Seek or concentrate on the kingdom of God. What does the kingdom of God look like? The kingdom of God is any place where the will of God is done. Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the will of God is done. And we must be individually and corporately concentrating on and doing and accepting the will of God in our lives and in the life of our church. Worry is banished when God becomes the dominant power in my life. When I care more about whether God is having done what he wants done. See, I would never, I should never, I I do, but I should never say, God, I need blah, 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 until I have some serious reason to believe God wants me to have blah, blah, blah. So I want God's will in my life. That's what the kingdom is. The second thing is to seek and concentrate on the righteousness of God. This is a wider concept. When we are talking about the kingdom of God, we are talking about us in this room. We are talking about people who love God and are part of that kingdom. Now, even the heathen are part of uh, God's kingdom, but they're of a, a different part of the kingdom. You and I are within the, the context of redemption. But we must also seek the righteousness of God. Everybody on the planet is under the righteousness of God. I hear some people say, well, that's not important because he committed that sin before he became a Christian. Does that mean he didn't violate God's righteousness? No, he did violate God's righteousness. And the reality of it is a lot of the consequences for that violation will come into his life even though it was before he got saved. So this is a broader concept of the righteousness of God. Now we've said that, uh, I I don't know how else to take this verse. Uh, And we've started out by saying, there are some people who are godly who go hungry. We understand that. God has his reasons for that. But whenever there are people who don't have the basic issues, the first question I want to know is, are they in the kingdom? Are they seeking the kingdom? And are they seeking God's righteousness? And as a result, we come to the place where we realize that God will give them those things when they are seeking the kingdom and the righteousness, unless he has something special to prove like he did with Job. Here's the last thing and the way to deal with worry. Worry can be defeated by living one day at a time. One day at a time. At Gateway Baptist Church, there was a man who was there the whole time I was there, and he was there for years before I got there. 
His name was Cliff Carr, Clifton Carr. When you came to church on Sunday morning, he was always at the front door. And he was a big man. He had a big, meaty hand. And when he would shake my hand, I would lose my hand. I'd say, where'd my hand go? I see his hand. I don't see mine. That's how big he was. And I would say every Sunday, Cliff, how you doing? He'd say, one day at a time. His standard response was always one day at a time. And that's how Jesus tells us to deal with life. And if you deal with life that way, you will deal with worry. He says in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. That's what Corey Tinboon is trying to tell us. See, tomorrow has its own stuff. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When I bring tomorrow's troubles into today, I am dealing with something that is beyond my capability. Jesus knew that. God knew that. That's why he told us here to make sure that we only live for today and not bring tomorrow's stuff into today. Now, I understand. We have schedules. We have appointments. We have things to go. If you ask me about my meeting on Wednesday night, I can tell you. If you ask me about my meeting on Thursday night, I can tell you. If you ask me about my meeting on Friday night, I can tell you. I have a meeting after this service in Portland, a baby dedication. I can tell you all about that. That's the one I'm talking about today. See, I'm not, I'm not worried about the meeting Wednesday night or Thursday night or Friday night. Those meetings... When I get to Wednesday, then I'll, I'll concern myself. See, that's what he's saying here. One of the great rabbis said this, Do not worry about tomorrow's evils today, for you know not what today will bring forth. See, we don't even know. I, I know where I'm supposed to go after the service, but I don't know whether I'm going to get there. You understand what I mean? Perhaps tomorrow you won't even be alive, he says, and you will have worried about a world which was not yours, a world which will not be yours. So the reality of it is, is that lots of times I worry about stuff that never, never happens. You know, if you were to show a person a picture of an elephant, a mosquito, and a shark, science has told us their blood pressure will go up as soon as they look at that dorsal fin. But the reality of it is 200 people a year are killed by elephants in this world, mostly in Africa. Um, two million people a year are killed by mosquitoes. There are 60, average, 60 shark attacks a year worldwide, and out of that, five or six will be fatal. But it's the shark we worry about. What do you worry about today? You know what they worried about in 1900? 
Take New York City, for example. In 1900, New York City had 200,000 horses. They used horses to move people. They used horses to run machinery. They used horses for almost everything. There was one horse for every 17 people in New York City in 1900. You know what that meant? That meant 5 million tons of horse manure every day. If you walked down Fifth Avenue, it was piled up like snow piles on both sides of the road every day. If you went into a vacant lot, often it was 60 feet high. There was disease. People died. And we think we have worries on our hands. God is saying to you and me today, my life is so tied up with him that I can trust him to meet my needs. And my needs are never, never separated from my relationship with the eternal God of the universe. Is that beautiful or what? And all I have to do is put his kingdom and his righteousness first. And maybe today you realize that you're out of sorts with regard to the kingdom. Remember, the kingdom is any place God's will is done. Maybe today there's a place where you know you're a little bit out of the will of God. And maybe while I say these things, it's coming to your mind and you're saying, boy, before I take communion this morning, I have to get this squared away with God. I encourage you, do it. Square it away and say, God, I'm going to enter into your will on this issue. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for this incredible relationship we have with you. Some of us here have been Christians 50, 60, 70 years but we are still learning we are still growing we are still being sanctified you father are still bringing us into deeper relationship with you and some of us father are still prone to worry and I know that's that's not gonna change in some of us it, won't change in me a lot when, when I leave here and I've studied the passage. But Father, we want to trust you. We want to put our faith in you. We want our needs to be connected to our relationship with you. And Lord Jesus, we will take communion. We will celebrate your broken body, your shed blood, and God, Lord Jesus, 
we want to say thank you. We remember that. We're indebted to it. We rejoice in it. And we ask you, Father, to give us freedom from worry and enable us to walk in your will and in your righteousness. And we'll thank you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.